0: Heavenly Father, we thank you just for your grace to us in so many ways. Um, we can spend so much time just thanking you for all that you've given us. Um, of course, we we thank you for this fellowship here that we have um, among believers. We thank you that we have access to the gospel. We have access to your word. Um, for your word is is life to us. It gives us life and it gives us eternal life. It allows us to to know you and to serve you, God. So. We just pray for your blessing now. We pray for the preaching of your word, that you would bless it. We pray that those who, who come and hear your word would be transformed by it through your Holy Spirit working in their hearts. So we thank you and we praise you in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16. And as you turn there, I thought I would take some time to introduce myself um, For those of you who don't know me, as Alan said, my name is Christian, and so just to let you know about just what I do here at Lighthouse, um, so I'm one of the ministry associates along with Alessandro and Seichi, and uh, I was recently... Uh, pastoral intern at, at Lighthouse, um, but I finished my, my MDiv, and, and so basically uh, you get promoted after that happens, but I'm basically just a glorified intern, uh, nothing special, still doing all of the, the intern roles here at Lighthouse. Um, now that I'm working under Alan, getting a lot more work, I think, um, than I did with Francis. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But um, no, it is it is really good to be here. As, as some of you know, my wife and Julie, or my wife Julie and I, we um, were serving in in the college ministry in uh, in Beacon, and um, and so we recently transitioned to Praxis. It's been about a month, and it's been really good. And we've just been blessed, getting to know some of you, and we look forward to getting to know uh, you guys more and just uh, seeing how the Lord is is working in your lives. And it's been kind of interesting because I think um, I find, found out that I was transitioning to Praxis. I think maybe like two months ago now. And when I first found out, I, I prayed about it because, yeah, I think we really enjoyed college ministry, and it was really great. And so we, yeah, we didn't want to leave. We, we loved college ministry. But after praying about it, it took just about a few days, and, and we told uh, the pastors or we told the elders that we did want to transition, and we were happy to do so. And after people found out and, yeah, news got around, people would come up to me and would encourage me with just telling me that they were happy to hear that I was moving along to, to Praxis and they were excited that uh, myself and Julie were going to move to Praxis. But then it would usually be followed up with a comments that was kind of interesting. And this is maybe like three or four people, like all these people would come and at first they would say, yeah, we're excited. But then they would say, yeah, we're really excited too because, yeah, you'll really come and, and drop the hammer down. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, First person who told me that, I was like, okay, like, nice. And then it was after that, like, maybe two or three people would come up and, and kind of say something around the same line as that. And so after, I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of interesting. You know, is, is that kind of what I'm known for? And, and I think really the, the nail in the coffin for me and what kind of hurt was when Kenny, who is um, our facilities manager here, if you guys know Kenny, Kenny is like literally the nicest person that you'll ever meet. Um, if you're here on a Sunday, he's just the guy with the biggest smile. He's, as I mentioned, our facilities manager, but he also leads uh, the vision ministry, which is the ministry for retirees and empty nesters. And, and even Kenny, he, he sees me one day and he says, Christian, like, I heard you're going to practice. I'm, I'm so excited. That's so good to hear. And he's like, so you ready to, you know, uh, lay down the hammer on him? And I was just like, dude, like, why, are, why is like everyone saying this to me? Like, why is no one coming up to me and saying, yeah, Christian, like, can't wait for you to go and just give people hugs and encourage people and really just comfort people? And so it really made me think, though, you know, after all of that, after various people coming up to me, it made me think, you know, man, is that all that I'm known for? Is that all that I'm known for is kind of just this tough, you know, maybe not the most encouraging person and maybe harsh? And so it made me think, And it kind of made sense, because I think since high school, my friends would tell me that, you know, I was kind of intimidating, I didn't have the best resting face, maybe. And even, you know, I I shared with some of the guys here, last year when I was on a plane, I was sitting next to a a nice young lady, very kind, and she started to strike up a conversation with me, and she's talking to me, and, and as she's introducing herself, and as we're talking, after she's asking me questions, I think I realized... I think she's evangelizing to me. Because as Christians, I think we kind of know the spiel, we kind of know the game of how when you're talking to a stranger, how we kind of try to, you know, butter them up and and introduce the gospel, right? And so we're talking, and I'm like, dude, she's definitely evangelizing me right now. And so I wanted to be nice, and and after she did share the gospel, I I encouraged her and said, yeah, I'm really encouraged by that. Like, thank you, And, and I'm actually a believer too. And she kind of looked surprised. And I was like oh, okay, like, I guess, like, she looked at me and was like, man, this guy really needs Jesus, you know, like, like, just look at his face. And so all joking aside, you know, I, that makes me think, you know, um, and and wanting to turn the question to to you guys as I think about that, as I think about maybe what I'm known for, I want to turn the question to you. If you were to think about this and, and answer the question of what are you known for? What are you known for? You can see that on the title of of your notes. That's the title of this message. If people were to ask you how you would describe yourself, or if people were asking other people how would you describe this person, what would people say about you? What would people say about you? What is your reputation? What is your reputation? What would people say that you're all about What would they say is your mission and your purpose in life, just by observing you and just talking to you? Based on what you talk about, what you spend your money on, how you spend your time, what would people say about you? What are you known for? And I want us to think about this because as we come to our passage at the end of Romans, Paul, he's coming to the end of his letter and he's Taking us through, after 15 chapters, right, he's taken us through this long and amazing theological journey that we've just talked about for these past months. He's laid forth his gospel in these chapters, and in chapter 16, he begins to close out his letter and make some final remarks. And it's interesting because as he does so, he spends about 60% of chapter 16, so 16 out of 27 verses, greeting and describing certain people. At the church in Rome. Up until this point, as I said, Paul, he's been going on and on with this theology, this rich theology, and he's doing so, as we've been talking about, to unite the believers in Rome, to unite them together, to work together to support him in his missionary journey to Spain and in his overall mission to bring the gospel to the nations and to make disciples. And he does this because he recognizes strong theology— So what we believe about God, what we believe about our mission and purpose as image bearers of God, as disciples of Christ, our theology is going to create a strong community. The theology that we share creates strong community. Rich theology, in Paul's mind, creates rich partnership in the gospel because we share the same convictions about who God is, who we are. What our purpose and role are in God's plan to redeem us and to redeem the world. And that's what Paul lays out in the book of Romans. And that's what he's trying to get them to see. So when we come to these verses in chapter 16, we see the outworking of that theology applied in the lives and examples of these people in these verses. Here we see examples of what it looks like for people to adopt a rich theology, a rich understanding of of Paul's theology, of his gospel, which produces a certain outlook on life. And as I mentioned, our purpose, to be people who are on mission for God and people who are known for being on mission for God, and specifically the Great Commission. So before we even jump into our passage, I'd actually like us to turn to Matthew 28. It's always good to go to the Great Commission. I don't think it could ever be uh, outdone or overpreached, but just quickly, to see that this is the framework that Jesus gives for us as disciples, but more importantly for Paul and the apostles as they're writing, and as they're spreading the gospel throughout the world. They're following these commands from Jesus. They're following this commission. And they pass that commission down to us. And so this is what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is the mission we've been given by God. Jesus says that all authority has been given to him. And if we're his disciples, we have decided to follow him. We've decided that our wills don't matter anymore. Our desires don't matter anymore. We are no longer the king over our own lives. Jesus says that he is the king. He is our master, and so we follow him because all authority belongs to him. And if we've chosen to do that, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, If we claim to be citizens in his kingdom, he says that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And then in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So you see what's going on. Jesus, he taught his disciples to do certain things, to obey certain things. And so his disciples, they go and make disciples themselves. And so that is our call. Our call is to go out into the world to preach the gospel to be good disciples ourselves, who observe all that Christ has taught, and to teach others to do the same. It's passing the baton. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in his life and his ministry. And so just setting the context, Paul was just obsessed about that. That was his mission. That's what he was all about, if you were to ask him. And so in Romans, we see that played out. And we see in our passage in Romans 16, We see Paul telling us and showing us the results of that, of his preaching, of his mission, of his work, of all the discipleship that he's done. And so in our passage, starting in verse 1, back in Romans 16, is what Paul says. Speaking to the church in Rome, he's writing this letter. Coming to the end, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Century, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for, for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachis. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodion. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has has been been a mother to me as well. Greet Ensycretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patribus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. So I think, you know, I was talking to, to Sam uh, before this just about the passage, and, and even talking to uh, Alan and, and Alessandro, I was really excited, you know, when I, when I first heard that I was uh, going to be preaching for, for Praxis. It's always a privilege to, to preach and share God's Word. And then, you know, of course, I look at the schedule uh, for the preaching schedule, and, and I I'm curious, you know, what uh, passage am I going to to preach on? You know, is it going to be something spicy? You know, maybe something on on dating or or marriage? Or, you know, is it going to be Romans 9 through 11 talking about predestination and Calvinism, Arminianism? And then I go and I I look and I see it's this passage. And, you know, I'm just going to assume that none of your life verses are contained in this passage. And, you know, when we think about, if you asked any preacher, like, what is your favorite passage to preach on? Like, what is that that one sermon where, you know, you just look back and and people were converted and all these amazing things happen, and it really just cut people to the heart? I I don't think many (laughs) preachers are going to say Romans 16, right? But as Christians, we believe that Paul, when he's writing with apostolic authority, he's writing uh, under the uh, superintention of the Holy Spirit, and what he's writing is authoritative. It is God's Word, Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen, that all God's word, all scripture is God breathed, and it's profitable for teaching and rebuke and correction, profitable to, to make a godly person, right, training a godly man. And so we trust that what God has in his providence brought down to us uh, through Paul's writing here is beneficial. And hopefully I can show, you know, just even from my own study of this passage, that we can be encouraged. There is something to learn here from what Paul is writing. And so we're just going to jump right into it. In verses 1 and 2, on your notes there, you can see that Paul is giving a commendation to the sister Phoebe, to the sister Phoebe. So Phoebe, she was most likely the letter carrier who brought uh, this letter to the Romans to this church in Rome. And it's interesting because he first says he's commending this sister Phoebe. So maybe the Romans, they don't know who Phoebe is. They've never met her. But Paul knows her, and he says in verse 2, he wants them to welcome her in the Lord. So she's a fellow believer, so he's saying, welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. And he's saying to help her in whatever she may need from you. Why? And he grounds it in this clause, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Paul, he's commending Phoebe to the church, even though maybe they haven't met her, because he says she's a fellow worker in the Lord. She is someone who has been faithful, someone who loves the Lord. She is a sister in the Lord. She's a fellow saint. And she's been a patron of many. She's given and she's provided and supported different believers in churches. And so Paul is commending her to them. He's lifting her up. You might think of a letter of recommendation that you ask for from maybe a professor or someone you did research for. Uh, if you're applying to grad school or if you're applying to a job, you ask for a letter of recommendation from your former manager. And of course, a letter of recommendation is really just to kind of lift you up, to exalt you, and, and for the person or the place that you're applying to, as they're reading it, to, to see that you're a good worker, right? To see that you are commendable. And so that's what Paul is doing here. We have examples of this even today in, in churches where Lighthouse, when we get people who come from different churches and they come here for the first time and they're checking Lighthouse out, we hear from other churches. We hear from churches leaders. And they'll say, they'll, they'll give a call or they'll send an email, maybe a text, and say, yeah, there's so-and-so coming from our church. Uh, they're moving down to, to SoCal. And, and they'll kind of give you a little rundown of what this person is like. right? They might say, Uh, usually, right? It's usually good that, hey, so-and-so's coming down, and yeah, they were really faithful. Uh, They served in our church. They led small groups. uh, They served in children's ministry. um, Just wanted to let you know that they're coming. Um, But unfortunately, sometimes there are people who come, and there are problem children, so to speak, at, at some churches, where some people come to church and come to Lighthouse, and we hear maybe certain things. And so what Paul is doing is he's commending phoebe there's a reputation that phoebe has especially with paul and so he's commending her to the church at rome and we see him kind of give different descriptions as we move on to this next section in chapters or sorry in verses 3 to 16 verse 3 verses 3 to 5 he says greek prisca and aquila my fellow workers in christ jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. So now Paul switches to greeting the actual people in Rome. And what's important, I think, is that we see descriptions about them. We see what these believers are like. In verse 3, we see that Prisca and Aquila, they're fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And then he says they risked their necks for his life. So he gives thanks for them, and he gives thanks to all the churches of the Gentiles, or the, all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well for them. So these people, they have a reputation. We see in Acts chapter 18 that Prisca and Aquila are mentioned, and they have a reputation. They're known to be hard workers in Christ Jesus for the gospel. They're willing to risk their lives For Paul. And of course, we can assume that they are willing to risk their lives for other believers. Because all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So their actions, they go noticed, they don't go unnoticed. Then in verse six, Paul says, Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. So another person, Mary, even though it's a short comment, she can be characterized as someone who has worked hard in the church of Rome. In verse 7, he goes on and says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. So we see that they are known because they were in prison, just as Paul in his life is imprisoned for the gospel. And then in verses 8 and 9, Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved stachus so again, we see that these people, they're commended, they're greeted and described as workers, fellow workers in Christ. We see Paul talking about these people as people who have shared in a suffering, the same suffering that he has faced as a preacher, proclaimer of the gospel, where some people have almost lost their lives as Paul has, have been imprisoned as Paul has been in his life. And they have worked hard, just as Paul has. Then in verses 10 and 12, he greets several more people. verse 11, he says, his kinsman Herodion, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphessa. And then he says, greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. And so, I hope we see a theme here, right? Where Paul, it's almost redundant or even repetitive where it's like, okay, Paul, you could have just said that all these people work hard. We get it, right? These people, they sacrifice, they're willing to be imprisoned, they work hard. But Paul keeps repeating this over and over again that there's a common theme among these people. They work hard. They work hard for the gospel. That's what they're known for. Where if you were to ask Paul, what do you think about Junia, what do you think about Andronicus? What do you think about Apelles? What do you think about these people? What would he say? Well, he says it right here. He says they're hard workers for the gospel. That's what they're known for. Um, I think before uh, the message, I I heard some of the guys talking about fantasy basketball, I think. Might have been fantasy football. I know some of you uh, have played fantasy basketball, fantasy football. Some of you are currently in leagues Uh, Right now, some of you may be into sports, and if you've done fantasy basketball, or even if you're just into sports in general, uh, no matter what sport, when you think of your favorite players, or when you think of drafting people, whatever it might be, there's always a scouting report. There's always a scouting report. There's uh, basically just a short list, or just bullet points, of strengths and and weaknesses of certain players. And so when you're drafting a player, of course, you want to look for someone who's described as fast Who's strong, who can uh, jump, who has good IQ, who has good court vision, whatever it might be. And so the question is if we were to think about these people and we, we ask, right, what do you think about so and so? What is their scouting report? Right? How would you describe this person in just three bullet points? Paul's saying these people are hard workers for the gospel. So the question is, is this how Paul, if he was writing a letter, or if you were to ask someone here at our church, is that how you would be described? Is that your scouting report? A hard worker for the gospel as these people are so characterized by. In 2 Timothy, verse 2, I invite you to turn there. In 2 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. This is what Paul is telling Timothy in his farewell letter. Paul is about to die. He's in his last imprisonment, and he's passing the baton to Timothy. He's passing his ministry down to Timothy. So these these are his final words, his final charges to Timothy. And this is what he tells him. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 3. He says, Share in in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So what is Paul saying? He's telling Timothy that you are to be a good soldier. Verse five, to be an athlete. Verse six, to be a hardworking farmer. And the common denominator with all of these three images is that it involves sweat. It involves sacrifice. It involves work. And we see this as a common theme in Paul's letters, First Corinthians nine, if you turn there, First Corinthians nine, verses twenty four to twenty seven. This is what Paul says, this is how he describes himself. This is after he's talked about his ministry and how he's given up certain liberties in his life and in his ministry for the advancement of the gospel. Just before this, in verse 20, he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew to win. Uh, In order to win Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. And he's talking about giving up different liberties in his life and disciplining himself for the advancement of the gospel. And he uses the imagery of an athlete And as we all know, if you're an athlete or if you've ever worked out before, if you've ever tried to go on a diet, it requires discipline. It requires self-discipline, disciplining your body and your mind, keeping it under control. And that's what Paul says he does as he ministers the gospel. So hard work is something that Paul is obsessed about when he thinks about preaching the gospel, when he thinks about discipling others, and we see the product of that in the people that he commends and he greets in Romans 16. You can turn back there. And the thing is, when we hear hard work, when we think of discipline, right, we can kind of uh, shudder at those words. Uh, We can think of, especially when it comes to our faith, right, the The word work or or discipline, we could think of legalism, that that's a bad word, Uh, work and and disciplining ourselves and obligation. But for Paul, hard work for Christ and hard work for the gospel is not legalism. For him, it is worship. Paul was so arrested by the glory of Christ in Acts 9 when he met him on the road to Damascus and as he experienced the saving work of Christ in his own life, and he experienced the lordship of Christ, Paul was so arrested by this that he felt like he could do nothing else in his life ever again but to work hard for Christ and for the gospel as an act of worship. And again, we see the product of Paul's ministry and of his gospel in these people at Rome where they are hard workers for Christ, for one another. And then in verse 13, Paul kind of changes gears a little bit. In Romans 16, he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. So I think it's interesting because at the end of this letter, we get kind of the most intimate uh, depiction of Paul's relationships with other believers. Uh, we don't get uh, as much of an extensive um, depiction of his relationships with believers in, in any other letter that he writes. And so we see that Paul, even though he hasn't met most of these people, that he still feels a connection to them. He's heard about them. And he knows that they are connected because they are connected through their faith in Christ and their fellow workers in the gospel on the same mission And it's not just work, like we can go to work and uh, we can get to know people, but it's kind of like, oh, those are just my work friends, right? And there's a little bit of a a disconnect. There's not as much of an intimacy as as there is maybe with your family. But Paul, he still has an intimacy. We see in verse 13 that he says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. So we see family language. We don't know for sure, uh, why Paul is saying this or what happened uh, to where he would call Rufus' mother, so someone else's mother, his own mother, right? that she has been a mother to him. But nevertheless, we get this sense that Paul knows this family well, intimately, that maybe Rufus's mother has taken care of Paul in some way or ministered to him in some way where he has felt as if he was a child being taken care of by his own mother. So we see intimacy here. Not just people as co-workers in the gospel, although that is true, but we see that we are family, and Paul is emphasizing that, that there's an intimacy to our work in the gospel as we do it together. Verses 14 to 16, rounding out the letter, Paul greets uh, some other saints in, in Rome, and then in verse 16 he says, "'Greet one another with a holy kiss.'" So, of course, uh, this is a cultural uh, element that we don't practice today. But Paul, he's emphasizing that intimacy again. That with fellow believers, because we are so intimately connected, not just on a spiritual level because of what Christ has done and how we are united together in Christ, but because we are fellow co-laborers in the gospel, because we suffer together, because we work hard together for one another and for God, there is this intimacy where when we see each other, we should give each other a hug. We should warm, warmly greet each other and welcome each other. That's the emphasis and the point that Paul is making. And we see this unity in purpose and this unity among believers who are set on one goal, one mission, here. But we also see it in Philippians So I invite you to flip there. In Philippians, one of the themes that stands out in Philippians is unity. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, this is what Paul says. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So I think it's pretty clear what he's saying. I mean, we see this word one, this idea of oneness stand out to us. He says, standing firm in one spirit one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So, what are they striving side by side for? It's not just anything, it's for the gospel. He's saying have one mind, having one spirit. So, they're set on one thing, and that's that mission to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. In chapter 2, verses 25 to 30, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So are there some themes that we see connected to our chapter, or in our verses in Romans? In verse 29, he says, To receive this person, just as Paul commended, Phoebe, and he says to honor Epaphroditus just as he told them to honor Phoebe, because, and he says in verse 34, right, that's a grounding clause, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. And this is what we read about Prisca and Aquila, right, that they were willing to risk their lives for the gospel. Earlier in verse 25, he calls Epaphroditus a fellow soldier A minister, minister, the word minister coming from the word service or deacon. And then we get in verse 26 this idea that there's a connectedness, not just, okay, we're just, as I mentioned, co-workers and we just work together and that's it. No, we see an emotional connection, a relational connection. Where in verse 26 he says, Epaphroditus has been longing for you all. He's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So we see a unity and a connectedness in the book of Philippians and we see it among these believers, people from different churches, people within the churches, that they are so intimately connected and set on serving God and serving one another as they advance the gospel together. And then finally, in chapter four of Philippians, verses two and three, Paul says, I entreat Yodia. And I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So I think some interesting things stand out here. Of course, we see the same language again, that they are companions of Paul and they labored side by side with him in the gospel together. So this togetherness language of people working side by side for the gospel, working hard. He calls them fellow workers. But it's interesting because there's some division that's going on between them. So much so that Paul decided to name names. He decided to put their names in his letter and to call them out. And he's calling them to agree in the Lord. And what's interesting is that it's nuanced because it's not like they are just bad and that they're just in conflict and fighting and that's all they're known for. No, he says that they have been good workers, fellow workers in the gospel. But like all of us, we're, we're still sinners even though we have been saved and even though we're being sanctified. Even mature believers have problems with one another. And so he's reminding them, guys, I know you have this little squabble right now. But I'm calling you and reminding you of the labor that we once shared in together and what what you shared in together this labor in the gospel and to set aside your differences and to come together and be united with one purpose with one mind striving together for the sake of the gospel. He's saying you might have beef with each other but the gospel is more important than that. You have to set that aside. So whether it's here in Philippians, whether it's in Romans 16, we see something that is so crystal clear for Paul. For Paul, he sees himself and he sees these members in these churches, these fellow believers as a team on a mission. He sees them as a team on a mission, the Great Commission, where even if there's sin, even if there's division, he calls them to rally together together because there's something so much bigger than these little squabbles. He recognizes a house divided cannot stand. He recognizes that if they are fighting amongst themselves, they cannot focus on the real thing that is important, which is preaching the gospel and making disciples. So he's focused on being workers with These people and working together and calling them to rally together in Philippians. But in Romans, we see that these people are doing well. He greets them and they seem to be taking his gospel, taking the theology that he's laid forth, and they're going and advancing in their faith, being hard workers for the gospel, willing to risk their lives for him and for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. So he commends them and he greets them. And that's what we need to strive for. We need to ask ourselves, can we be characterized by this? Can we be characterized by people in Romans 16 who strive for the advancement of the gospel Are we a team together here at Lighthouse, here in Praxis, on mission, on the same mission? Because all of us are on a mission. We're on a mission. We have purpose. We wake up in the morning for a specific reason. We do the things we do for specific reasons. But the question is, are we doing it all for the same reason? Are we all on the same page with the same purpose And that purpose, is it to advance the gospel? Is it to make disciples? Is it to grow in our own discipleship? So the question is, what is your mission? What is your mission? What is your purpose? If you were to fill in the blank, my mission in life is to, what would you say? Would it be to make a lot of money? Would it be, To find a significant other, to be liked by others, to accumulate accolades. And these things are not bad, right? These things are good things created by God to enjoy. But if that is your sole mission, to obtain these things, to worship the creature and enjoy the creation while forsaking the creator, then that is a problem, right? if that is our mission, if that is why we wake up each and every day, to gain these things instead of seeking to gain God himself and to serve him and to love him and to love his people and to love the lost and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. That was Paul's mission. That was the church at Rome's mission. That's what they were obsessed with. That's what got them up in the morning. That's what made them be willing to risk their lives. That's what made them willing to work hard and to even face imprisonment. So we have to ask, is our mission the Great Commission? Is it to be like one of these people in Rome? Is it to be like Paul? To be a hard worker and co-laborer with other Christians who proclaim the gospel? And to be faithful disciples ourselves? Where if we were in Rome at that time in one of those churches, what would we be known for? How would Paul describe us if he were to include us in this list of people here? If he said, greet so-and-so, what short description would he give? So I pray that the description that he would give would be the same description that he gives for these believers here that we'd be beloved in the Lord, fellow workers in Christ. That is the aim, that is the goal for every believer in Christ, every disciple of Christ. And so I hope that we can find encouragement from this chapter here, in these verses, that we would strive to to have that. And again, not out of legalism, not that we need to prove ourselves to God because we've been saved and we've been declared righteous by the work of Christ and we are clothed in his righteousness where we don't need to gain God's approval, but we do it because we love God, because we want to worship him because of who he is and what he's done. So that is my prayer for us. That is my prayer for myself, for all the church of Christ. And so I hope we would leave now as we discuss in small groups and as we think about this for ourselves, wanting what Paul wants to see the advancement of the gospel for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you that we've been given this privilege and this opportunity to serve you through the Great Commission. As we have this task set before us to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples and to grow as disciples ourselves, God, we Do it with joy because we see that you are the God who has saved us. You are the God of all glory and majesty and beauty and that to serve you in this way, God, it is for our benefit and for your glory and it gives us great joy to do so. So please help us see that because as we work hard, we can grow weary. We understand that in the Christian faith. And so we pray that you would grant us strength and you would help us, God, to fulfill this task, to be found faithful at the end of it all for your glory and for the sake of Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.